the best servant uh, that we have. And it allows us to do things more efficiently, more effectively with considerable statistical success. I was visiting a company named Singer, C-Z-I-N-G-E-R, and they have the world's first 3D printed car. And it's not just a 3D printed car. It's a luxury car uh, that has broken the Ferrari Aston Martin time uh, time test uh, speeds by six seconds, not 0.6 seconds, by six seconds. And it's because it is a car that can be created in two weeks. Uh, so if you think about the capacity of this, uh, Ferrari now could do 100 models in a year with 100 uh, uh, different models with 100 cars each. And, uh, you know, we, we can have just a variety of as close to perfect cars produced in the fastest amount of time, two specs tested and even uh, shipped out. And so technology itself uh, creates a different perception as a servant, not as a master, um, in time of how quickly we need things. And this now has uh, an impact on progress. Um, but the difficult thing about this and the great realization is we have to realize that although we can create these things quickly and deliver them quickly and utilize them quickly, uh, that we're still human bodies having a spiritual experience and that behavior, uh, we cannot speed up the progress that we make with our behavior, regardless of how quickly we can do business or get money or produce things. Um, and this has created a huge separation of expectation and perception with reality because we're capable and able uh, to do things so quickly. Um, and so uh, the great realization is transforming not only our personal and professional's lives, but our perception. And the biggest challenge that we're going to have in this perception is that because everything is happening so quickly, uh, as technology is a great servant, uh, we still have our human capacity and behavior still uh, is limited to the speed in which uh, our behavior aggregates, compounds, and accelerates towards what we want or what we think we want. And so I want people to, number one, think about the great realization of technology and how it's transforming our lives today as one, uh, the efficiency, effectiveness, and statistical success of it being our servant, not a master, but even two, that we still have to manage our and participate in our perception of how quickly our behaviors uh, can transform uh, because that time frame has not changed. Uh, and so what are some of the realizations that are occurring today? Well, think about just in the in the workforce of an activity that we get paid for there's so many options opportunities and touches of favor um but yet uh there's this transformation in understanding of technology so for the first time ever for example we have major layoffs with a company that has major hiring think about that in the first time in history companies are hiring and firing <laughs> at the exact same time. And so uh, I think this is a great example 
of this transformation of the option opportunities that we have to look at. And the reason they're doing it is that this great realization puts its focus in on three different areas. One, productivity. And uh, we're starting to see where and how we can be more productive. Um, and two, accessibility, how you know we're accessible to each other, the effective communication that we have uh, from a variety of different places and how we're accessing what we want and even gratitude. How quickly can we find the light, the love, and the lessons uh, in the activities that we have, paid or unpaid, planned or unplanned, or even our sleep? Uh, and as we look at productivity and we look at it uh, as parents, as employees, as management and executives, uh, there's been a great divide there in understanding and perception of what exactly is everybody doing, which has caused a lack of engagement. Um, and so one of the things that executives are challenged with is that they have no idea how productive their management and employees can be. They have no idea how accessible their employees and management can be. They also don't know how quickly they can find the light, the love, and the lessons in what they're doing, their employees and management. And so this has allowed people to quietly quit. It's allowed people to get away with the lowest common denominator because so many people are managed or the executive team has no clue how easy and simple technology as a servant has made their jobs. Or the same thing holds true as a parent. We have no idea how easy, simple things may be because of technology, and we are not bringing the best out of our employees. We're not bringing the best out of our management and even our executives because there's such a vast array of capabilities that technology has placed in our homes and in the workplace. And so we need to uh, allow this human aspect to catch up with the capabilities of the, in, uh, the technology aspects of what we do. One of the concerns I have is that for the first time, technology has exceeded our imaginations and our realization. And so we're letting people get by without that unbelievable common denominator of fulfillment, passion, purpose, and profitability, which is the desire that you must be what you can be. Because it's not technology that's the master that scares me, technology uh, providing you know all this capability. It's the capabilities that we don't know of or can't control or aren't aware of is draining us of our inspiration because we have no awareness or acknowledgement of the productivity and capability and potential that that productivity has because of this great servant of technology. And so we need to give greater attention and intention to these three aspects of technology as a servant. How productive can we be personally and professionally? How productive can our employees, management, and executives be? How productive can our families be? How accessible can they be? And how gracious can they be utilizing technology? And it's going to take time. 
It's going to take time, which is causing these incredibly new challenges like major layoffs with major hiring at the same company at the same time. And we are going to have to, and those who can, utilize the acknowledgement and awareness of technology in this respect of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude, it's gonna allow them to take advantage of the size, scope, and scale of the enormity of options, opportunities, and touches of favor. And so in the productivity that we see, we need to challenge our employees, management, and executives to uh, utilize the technology, but more importantly, still to be the master to be the master of their time, of how productive, accessible, and gracious are they considering uh, how quickly we can get things done. I mean, when I was young, I was amazed and used to brag, oh my gosh, you can go to an ATM and get your money in like less than a minute instead of spending a half an hour to an hour waiting in line at the bank. And that was an amazing, remarkable uh, transition. Also, you know, calling cards. Oh my gosh, you can now, you know, call and not have to have coins, let alone, of course, the bag phone, and then let alone the flip phone, and then let alone the convergence devices that were later known as smartphones. We as human beings, though, have created the same divide by allowing the instant gratification of technology being a master instead of mastering the technology and allowing it to be a great servant. And to make it a great servant, we want to focus in on the productivity of technology according and aligned to our own values and the trajectory of what we think we want. And even furthermore, utilizing the accessibility in the same direction and even our gratitude. And so as we look at productivity, uh, you know, I... I think the last Gallup poll said that, you know, over 80 some percent of the people around the world are not engaged, uh, not engaged in um, their, their business. Let alone, I bet that's reflective to the number of people that aren't engaged in their families or in their health or in anything else that uh, may be of importance to them because they have no acknowledgement of the productivity that they can have either personally or professionally. And so I'm challenging everyone to engage technology as a servant to allow you to engage others in your personal and professional trajectory or potential uh, instead of creating void shortages and obstacles, uh, quietly quitting, creating great divides via technology going below the line into blame, shame, and justification of the technology instead of holding people accountable, responsible, attracting, and participating in a perception of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. And when we do that, we will find exponential, exponential progress uh, that will allow us to accelerate in the trajectory of what we think we want. The second area beyond productivity is accessibility. Uh, and the accessibility component uh, is crucial in the connectivity from us and our source, 
as you know, the foundational principle of my life is that there's something bigger than me, whether it's religious, spiritual, philosophical, or theoretical, something bigger than me that loves me more than my mom. So instead of trying to go get more through technology, I'm always trying to utilize technology to identify what I'm doing to interfere with it. So instead of trying to get more happy with technology, more healthy, more wealthy, more worthy, I'm utilizing technology and being accessible to that source and accessing that source to figure out what I'm doing to interfere with that source, uh, which is a completely different paradigm shift that allows, instead of living in a zero-sum game of scarcity, to live in a value-add game of abundance, of a world of more than enough of everything for everyone. And technology as a servant can allow me to clear that interference and to be more accessible to that great omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, abundant, infinite system of thought and to be able to access it as well. So technology not only provides the productivity and allows us to acknowledge the productivities of others, to get the engagement, to create passion, purpose, and profitability, but even moreover allows us to be more accessible to abundance, to the value-add system of infinite, abundant thought that is unified between everyone. Understanding this distinction between it as a master and as a servant will allow us to create more, to utilize curiosity more, and to live in abundance instead of the world of buying things you don't need to impress people you don't like and doing as little as possible. Instead, utilizing technology to be as productive and accessible as possible. And through this understanding of technology and you know seeing how our children may not be pursuing their potential or our management or our employees or our executives are not pursuing their potential and they're getting away or lying to themselves because they are equal to or greater than the productivity of the past because it's so much easier to do almost everything we now have a new sense of accountability, acknowledgement, and engagement that creates more abundance. Once again, the foundational principle of abundance and the foundational principle of technology being a servant, not your master, is critical, if not uh, reliant upon the idea of trying to get people to enjoy, including ourselves, the consistent, everyday, persistent, without quit pursuit of your potential, not somebody else's potential. And so as we explore what uh, those relative to us in our personal lives, as well as our professional lives, are doing with technology as a servant to be more productive and more accessible in a trajectory of a collective consciousness or a commonality or a trajectory of what we think we want today, leading to the third uh, component uh, of utilizing technology as a servant in this great realization of the power and purpose of technology, not only to be more productive, but also to be more accessible, leading to finally uh, gratitude, to be more gracious. The idea of gratitude is your capability of finding the light, the love, and the lessons by looking at the defining moments 
the historical relevances, the mistakes, failures, and setbacks of the past, and giving it a meaning that is in the trajectory of what you think you want. So if we're capable of finding the light, the love, and the lessons in the past and utilizing the activities of today, planned, unplanned, sleep, paid for, unpaid for, in a trajectory of what we think we want by utilizing technology to be more productive, accessible, and gracious. And I think that when we're looking at our journeys and purpose of our journeys to learn lessons, knowing that pain, setbacks, failures, and mistakes are an indicator that we have a lesson to learn, that there's no greater way to learn lessons than through technology as a servant, not as our master. Once again, knowing that the omniscient, all-powerful, and all-knowing is not the technology, it's our source, the unified abundant infinite system of thought that loves you more than your mom that's protecting and promoting you while you take a perspective and participate in a great realization that technology is your servant and that that servant can be utilized not only for productivity and accessibility but actually to learn lessons to find the light the love and everything to give you the dose of positivity to live your life towards if not closer to your own potential This is the great realization. And when through productivity, accessibility, and gratitude, knowing that you can be more productive as utilizing technology as your servant, uh, you can be more accessible from anywhere, right? The remote living of families and professions, the hybrid living of family and professions, as well as the brick and mortar living of families and professions. And notice I added families in there. There's a lot of people don't bring into the great realization uh, that there's a hybrid life of family now. That everybody doesn't live next door to each other in brick and mortar homes that they own. That we have family all over the world and via technology as our servant, not only do we have productivity between families, accessibility between families, but we're able still to find the light, the love, and the lessons to those people that are most relative to us. And I think it's very important for people to understand that as we talk about the, you know, office, remote, or hybrid worker, that it's also applicable to the family. As you look at your non-negotiables in life, mind being and applying time to that, the man-made construct of a minimum amount of time every day towards my health, towards my family, towards time itself in the activity I get paid for and unpaid for, planned, unpanned in my sleep, uh, that the aggregation, acceleration, and compounding of time in those activities, the family aspect has been the most interesting because I'm able to stay connected, accessible, gracious, and productive with all the people most relative to me, even comparatively when they lived in my same home. Even when I shared a room with two of my brothers, that because of technology, I can have a minimum amount of time every day with my wife, with my 13-year-old son, with my three 20-something daughters, with my mom, whoever it is. And I actually put towards every day a minimum of 10 minutes for those people that I haven't seen. I am very intentional about utilizing technology as a servant in order to stay in touch every single day, a minimum of 10 minutes with people that I haven't seen in a while. And technology allows me to do that. Technology allows me to be more productive, accessible, and gracious 
with my time, but it is not my master. It is my servant. And I'm utilizing it. And through the great realization of how productive, accessible, and gracious I can be, instead of going to the lowest common denominator that, wow, my job sure got easy because of blank, AI, chat, GPT, email, convergence devices, smartphones, Google, whatever it may be. My job got easy because of this SaaS solution, this app. Everything got easier. And therefore, my boss or my dad doesn't know how easy I have it. And so therefore, I'm quietly, quietly quitting, not on my job or my family. I'm quietly quitting on myself. I'm quietly quitting on my capability of the absolute uh, solution of happiness is those who can enjoy the consistent every day, persistent without quit pursuit of their potential, their potential, not what other people want for them, not buying things they don't need to impress people that they don't like, taking snapshots of their life and posting it so others can have the thief of joy of comparison. No, but what you want and utilizing technology as a servant, not your master in the uh, mission of that pursuit of your potential, what is important to you, what you want, who you can help, who can help you, how best to be productive, accessible, and gracious with your time, utilizing technology as your servant, and then prioritizing in that pursuit, prioritizing your now and your next, so that not only is the technology efficient, effective, and statistical success, statistically successful, but so are you which allows you, instead of searching for more, searching for your why, living in a world of not enough or just enough, buying things you don't need to impress people you don't like, taking snapshots of your life to impress people you don't know or like, but instead applying your why, reconciling the servant of technology with the source of infinite abundant system of thought that's unified between all of us that loves you more than your, your mom that protects you and promotes you that's all-knowing omniscient and all-powerful giving you faith to be inspired or in spirit to effectuate the technology that we've been blessed with to be fulfilled and passionate perfect purposeful and even profitable in conclusion before we bring on a few guests today this great realization is not only the realization of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. It's not only the realization of how technology can be utilized as a servant of an abundant, unified system of thought, but it also is a great realization of the size, scope, and scale of the options, opportunities, touches of favor that exists within the size, scope, and scale of a community that we can't even fathom. The final realization of abundance is that our human capabilities, our senses cannot fathom the size, scope, and scale of the options, opportunities, and touches of favor that exist in, in size, scope, and scale of a community that we now can be productive, accessible, and gracious within. If we utilize technology as our servant, not our master, if we utilize it to enjoy the consistent every day persistent without quit pursuit of our own potential. There is an abundant world of more than enough. 
a world where there is an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source, no matter what your religion, philosophies, spirituality, or theories are. There is something bigger than you that loves you more than your mom that will protect and promote you, indicating to you through pain, setbacks, failures, mistakes, defining moments, even historical references of your past to allow you, utilizing technology as your servant, to identify the meaning that best suits your pursuit of your potential. And to be able to identify that, to know what we want and who can help us, who can we help, how best to be productive, accessible, and gracious, knowing our now, utilizing time as a dependent variable to be efficient, effective, and statistically successful with that technology as your servant in order to apply your why to live inspired, in spirit, connected to and through more than enough of everything for everyone. Jake, we have uh, one minute. Why don't you reset the room as I will bring on these great guests. If anybody would like the exercise of the great realization, I'll throw in my book. I'll sign it, send it to you, pay for the book and shipping. Would love uh, an opportunity to help whoever I can. Jake, reset the room and we're going to bring Maxim on here uh, as our first guest. Amazing. Thank you for that, David. The great realization exercise. If anyone would like that, just feel free to email David. David's email is david at dmeltzer.com. David at dmeltzer.com. Also, as Dave mentioned, he's happy, more than happy to send you one of his books and uh, pay for shipping as well. So you can email, email him as well for that too. We've got about 30 minutes left here in the Breakfast with Champions this morning. Dave will be bringing on some guests here. Let's continue to share the room. You can share the room here on Clubhouse. You can share the room in your text messages, your favorite social media platforms, and anywhere that you'd like. You can do it at the bottom. There's a square with an arrow. Let's continue to share the room with your friends, family, and the whole community. So, Dave, with that in mind, I'll pass it back off to you if you want to start bringing on some guests. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, thank you. Our first guest we're going to bring on is Maxim Nogat. Of, and he's the CEO of Terraforma, terrafera.com. Um, and uh, has created a launch pad, a marketplace for fashion designers. Uh, welcome, Maxim. Uh, hi, David. Hi, Dave. <laughs> well, you, you've been working in technology a while, while applying it as your servant to uh, the fashion building and creating a Web3 platform uh, to allow a variety of different things. Give me a little bit of background on how you've utilized technology as a servant uh, to create this marketplace for fashion designers. So I was always uh, interested in activating communities and creating better connections um, between people. And so we, we create the platform for collaborations between fashion designers and uh, other creatives. And also we we want to engage regular people, like what we call super fans or fashion designers in co-creation process. Because I personally believe when people are creating something, they are in connection with the source. And so they, they feel much better. They are much more joyful. Uh, that's, that's why I think it's very important. And when you're building a, a community, we were talking about the size, scope, and scale of a community. Obviously, the fashion community is a very large community, uh, and you have an international sp uh, perspective. Uh, you've been an entrepreneur, even in a place uh, that was illegal to be an entrepreneur uh, in, in Russia. Um, 
for you understanding now the size, scope, and scale of this co-creation, this curiosity that can be created uh, in a huge community, you know, how has that evolved for you as a serial entrepreneur? I know your first business you started when you were 12. Uh, yeah, I did, I did different things. So I did, uh, for example, festivals, I did, uh, like land, land art festivals and had like a huge space, a kind of a burning man, uh, the Russian button, the forests. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I, I felt the best when we created something without, uh, like the expectations of the results and this kind of feeling I want to, to bring into the platform when people create for the creation's sake. I think this, this is the kind of activity which is very intrinsic to us as humans. And I think it's, uh, it creates, uh, better bonds and it creates better feelings. And, uh, that's what I love. And beyond that as well, you're creating your own community, um, that is actually engaged. And we talk about utilizing technology uh, to engage people, to have them be more productive, accessible, and gracious. And I think uh, I wanted to have Tara Farah here uh, because that community is not just um, one that we are supportive or active fans of each other, giving the thumbs up and the likes or using bots to do the exact same but actually creating engagement community of people who want to help each other and know people that can help each other uh, and help us grow, help us sell more, help us do more. What are some of the aspects of the launch pad that you've created uh, that allows the community to help grow, sell more and do more? Uh, so a couple of things. So first uh, we allow revenue sharing. So we allow people, earn alongside the favorite designers and uh, influencers and today platforms like instagram they're mostly it's like one to many so you are sort of like broadcasting to people uh and what we um, are willing to create it's more equal relationship between people participating in co-creation process uh, when you can get feedback honest feedback uh uh ideas and uh, vote for the best of them. So we create more gamification and engagement uh, uh, on our platform. And we feel that we, we are creating a sort of playground. So where people can be uh, more free, more open, more have more courage to create uh, crazy things. Uh, don't be afraid that they will be like disliked or judged. So we want to create a more open playground for, for creatives. And what stage is the company at today? I know uh, you're taking on investments. You're growing at a very quick pace. Uh, where is the company at today um, as building this launchpad and marketplace for fashion designers? Uh, we at private beta stage. So we, we are starting to work with uh, uh, different fashion designers. But we are at the early, very early days for now. For now. <laughs> and... <laughs> And <laughs> what do you see as your biggest challenge uh, today uh, in growing this marketplace uh, with such a huge uh, audience and, and huge opportunity? Yeah, I think uh, we create like a sort of like a different context uh, for people. For uh, So we, th we think about ourselves as a hybrid between Instagram and Kickstarter. So we... 
Uh, and for us, the most important thing is to find the right uh, social dynamics in on our platform. So to find the right souls that people uh, want to co-create together and they like it and they love it. And it's a little bit different. It's a little bit changing the typical behavior. So they become prosumers instead of consumers. So they they participate in the process. And so this social engineering and this changing of behaviors is the most important for us. And one of the most challenging things when you have a two-sided marketplace that you're trying to grow and utilizing not only technology to do it as your servant, but in a platform, you still need people. Um, with all the different platforms that exist that have literally billions of people participating in it, what mechanisms can we use? Because I see a lot of different companies like yours in different spaces that are creating marketplaces, launchpads specific to communities that want to help each other and know people that can help each other. Um, how can those type of companies like yours uh, have the best success in building the two-sided marketplace when there's so many platforms where people can supplementary have that same value within LinkedIn or Instagram, TikTok or Facebook, whatever it may be? So we think of ourselves uh, not so much as a marketplace, but more like a toolbox for designers to work better with, better with the super fans and uh, um, collaborators. So think of us like a Patreon, for example, like what Patreon did for, for digital creatives, we want to bring to the fashion industry. So effectively, it's the tool for, for, the, for designer to work with his own audience and to uh, cross-pollinate the audiences between uh, fashion designer and other collaborators. And those tools will be extremely valuable within the context Thank you so much, Maxim, for coming on. Check out terra-fera.com, uh, an incredible project, a launchpad for fashion designers to co-create, fundraise, sell, manufacture, and operation tools that can create productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. A great example of technology as a servant, not as a master. Uh, come and join me again. Thank you, Ma Maxim, for joining us here. Thank you. Thank you, David. You got it. All right, Jake, uh, next up is Monica Parker. Uh, she is a world-renowned author, uh, Power of Wonder. She is the founder of Hatch Analytics. Uh, Monica, welcome. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. So we've been talking about uh, this idea of the great realization. Um, and I wanted to have you on uh, because one of the challenges of technology as a master, not a servant, is that technology is, for the first time in history, uh, it, it's expanded or went beyond our wonder or our imagination. Uh, and, you know, that wasn't true when I was a child. Um, and uh, the way that we have changed and the way that we live, learn, and lead um, has changed as well. And you wrote an extraordinary book, a best-selling book, The Power of Wonder. And so I thought it'd be perfect to have you on to talk about uh, the extraordinary emotion that changes the way we live, uh, learn, and lead, and how powerful the idea of wonder is. Great. Well, I'll just tell you a little bit about wonder, because a lot of people probably aren't familiar with the concept. Um, the way that wonder is a bit of a shapeshifter, because we think of wonder as a verb, to wonder, right, to explore, 
but also wonder can be a noun. So it can be something that, that inspires a sense of awe. And so my goal was really to link those two concepts. Um, so we have a single emotional experience that starts with openness and then moves into curiosity, into absorption, and then into awe. And it's almost like a cycle because the more that we experience each one of these elements, the more likely we are to experience them in the future. But it is interesting looking at technology because actually, while technology can be a source of wonder for a lot of people, it's actually can be quite a barrier to wonder as well. Um, certainly social networks are, I think, wonder killers, unfortunately. We see that people are, you know, looking for these quick hits of dopamine as opposed to ge doing genuine, deep curiosity. And so I, I do think that sometimes that, that machine we all love to carry in our hands um, really interrupts our presence, which is so required for us if we want to experience wonder. We could have said it better, which we were talking about earlier about the difference between technology and this great realization of technology being a master or a servant um, and understanding there. And you've been able to reconcile technology uh, as well by using it as a servant in the uh, form of analytics, uh, which is a great form. I uh, was blessed to get involved in technology early out of law school uh, when people, even like Justice Scalia told me, nobody will ever do research on the computer. You need books um, and, you know, early forms of resistance. Um, but you are a co-founder of Hatch, um, and uh, that acronym stands for? Human Analytics Think Connect Hatch. And so that's what we do. We use human analytics to help businesses understand how they think, how they innovate, how they connect the dots in their organization, and how they hatch new ideas. And how important is technology integrated into Hatch itself when you look at human analytics by utilizing data or utilizing technology analytics as a servant to support uh, the human aspect of what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I had to giggle when you were talking about, oh, no one will, will research on computers. Socrates said that that writing would be the death of, of knowledge because if people could write things down, then they would never truly memorize them. And so I think that there will always be people who say this next technology will, will ruin everything. Um, but at the <laughs> end of the day, it's a tool, right? Um, so what we do at Hatch is really try to find that perfect intersection between social science and then using um, different analytic tools in order to, to yield, to, to draw out that information, and then to analyze it. And so everything, all of our, our tools and technologies are basically in the service of gathering and analyzing the best social science data that we can find. And that's why we call it human analytics. So we really focus on, on making sure that we're using tools that are, are scientifically validated from psychology, from social science, and then pairing those up with you know, everything from R and statistical software and all of that in order to be able to give people a really clear idea rather than just some survey monkey that they throw out to their, their staff about what, what's happening in their business. And it really encompasses all aspects in life. Uh, as you talk about the way it changes, the way we live, learn, and lead from psychology to neuroscience, philosophy, literature, business. Um, and there's some secrets that are revealed uh, as we utilize and pay attention and give intention to these different areas. And you give a guide uh, in your book to the different areas uh, of how art and architecture, love, sleep, 
sex even, and even psychedelics uh, mm -hmm. to learn about how we can elicit wonder um, to transform not just the brain, but our bodies as well. I was hoping that you could explain the integration of these secrets that transform both the body and the brain to el elicit wonder to do so. Sure. So I'll just talk a little bit because I found it fascinating as I was researching. Um, wonder has an incredible impact. Wonder is what's known as a pro-social emotion. So that means that it makes us want to be, it's a helping emotion. It makes us want to help other people. It makes us more generous. It makes us more humble. It makes it, our friends recognize that we're more humble. They, they even report if we've experienced wonder that we are more humble. Um, it makes us better able to withstand a world that is chaotic, so much more resilient. But I think what's particularly fascinating is some of the physiological benefits. So what we know is that people who experience wonder have lower stress hormones, so lower um, uh, cortisol, they have lower blood pressure. And then really fascinating is they have lower what's known as pro-inflammatory cytokines. So pro-inflammatory cytokines are a protein that our body releases when we're sick. And when we're sick, it helps heal us. But if we release it when we're not sick, like when we're under pressure, um, under stress, then what it does is actually makes us sick. And these pro-inflammatory cytokines are the basis of heart disease, of diabetes, of Alzheimer's. And so what we know now is that there's a direct biological pathway between wonder and better health. And so that I think is really fascinating. And to your point of some of the sort of the tricks, I, I think the ways that we can bring more wonder into our life, um, one of the great ways, and this sort of aligns with the thinking of, of, of technology being a servant, um, which is slow thought. We really need to find a degree of presence, and we can do that through a lot of different ways. Meditation is one way. Narrative journaling is another. Gratitude. Um, practice or even prayer. And I think that's one of the things that I found really fascinating about wonder as well is that it can be completely secular or it can knit itself into a religious practice. And so it really is something for everyone. And utilizing this perspective in challenging our existing corporate systems, we were talking earlier about the great realization, utilizing technology as a servant to understand where we actually are productivity-wise within the activity we get paid for, accessibility-wise, um, and gratitude-wise, finding so quickly the light, the love, and the lessons in what we do. Um, it seems that you're capable of, of challenging the current systems to create this great realization. What are the things, uh, what are some of the things that you are challenging today? Because you work with really big companies like mm. LinkedIn, Google, Prudential, Lego, just to name a few, to, you know, really create the realization of how productive, accessible, and gracious we can be in the workplace? So I think one of the challenges is that um, corporate culture is, it's interesting. It's not you just say, oh, I want that to be the culture. What you do is it's the wake you see behind a series of behaviors. And if those behaviors are really aligned, then they're hard to break through. The problem is, is if they're really aligned and toxic, they're equally as hard to break through as if they're really aligned and positive. And so what we try to do is help organizations understand whether they have a healthy or not healthy organizational culture. And if they want their culture to be healthier, we help them understand what a wonder-based work culture could look like. And that is, again, a work culture where the CEOs are humble, where they listen um, in an environment where people are trusted and trusting, 
where teams are diverse and not just diverse, but inclusive. So it's not that you just hire people that are different like you, but you actually make them feel like that's their work home. And really genuinely allowing people to bring their authentic selves to work. And it's easier said than done. But one of the main ways we're doing that is we're going into organizations and actually helping them rebuild what their leadership DNA is. So let's say you have a, an organization that's really hard driving. And up to this point, leaders have been promoted based on bottom line results. We come in and say bottom line results is one piece, but let's look at the other elements that actually make them human and help support the other humans that are in the organization. So we're we're reforming that DNA um, and the way that people are incentivized and remunerated on elements that are more pro-social. Again, these elements that are more helping, that are more supportive. And what we know is that there's a knock-on effect that's positive. We know that CEOs that are more humble have better functioning middle management teams who are better able to knowledge share. We know that, um, that people are willing to take a pay cut to work for a more empathetic boss. And so if we're able to bring these elements into an organization, we not only help people have a better work, um, but I believe that it has a knock-on effect to having a better world and a better bottom line. Yeah, when we're living in a curious co-creative environment, collaborating with one another, creating that community, that technology does help as a servant to create these communities of people who want to help each other, know people that can help each other, hatch these new creative changes uh, for the better of all, um, you know, utilizing both technology and human analytics that reconciliation is a great realization and your book is one which reconciles the power of wonder in a variety of ways to change the way we live learn and lead monica parker thank you so much for joining me everyone check out her book you can go to monica-parker.com you can buy it's a wall street journal bestseller so you can find it everywhere we will have you back soon thanks for joining us thanks david have a great one you have a great weekend. All right, uh, Jiggy Bakey. I'm going to bring up my last guest here, Melissa Swift. We'll bring her up swiftly. Uh, she's a leader of transformation solutions for Mercer, U.S. and Canada. She's also an author. Surprise. Uh, thank you, Melissa, for joining us. There it is. Work here now. Think like a human and build a powerhouse workplace. So, uh, Melissa, we've been talking today about the great realization um, and utilization of technology as a servant to be more productive uh, at home and the workplace, to be more accessible uh, and more gracious. Um, and your book uh, is a complete alignment uh, with this great realization of work here now um, and to be able to reconcile being human, thinking like a human but also building a powerhouse workplace by utilizing technologies and other things uh, as a servant um, with strategies uh, at the different levels. We talked about executive management and employee levels. Uh, how is, or how are you reconciling in the book, a human centered approach to utilize these things as servants? Yeah, no, I love the I love the way you're speaking about that because there's there's a whole chapter in the book about couples counseling for humans and technology. And it's really about getting that relationship right again. That we've in many ways we've kind of over-rotated on technology. And and we've let technology kind of, you know, be the boss of us. 
And it, that's not the sort of the right way of working. And we can make some really nitty gritty concrete changes that actually help, to your point, technology can help us accomplish being better human beings. So, you know, as a for instance, uh, right now, a lot of what I'm hearing across client organizations is that employees are totally overwhelmed with too many communications technologies, right? So I've got, you're pinging me on Teams and you're texting me, right? And Slack and this and that, and emails are coming in, right? And it, it's a madhouse. So one thing organizations are doing is saying, okay, if we have fewer communications technologies and we're clear on what we use them for, then that human element of actually communicating, actually connecting with the right emotional content happens better. So if you think about it, if, you know, if you've got, you wake up and you've got 200 emails, how good are your responses to those emails? They're, they're not great sometimes as a leader, right? Kind of like, all right, that's what, rah, that, get it out, right? If you wake up and you have five emails, maybe your responses are better and more thoughtful. And maybe the organizational gears grind a little bit less. And I think that's the couple's counseling. That's that renegotiation of the relationship between humans and tech that, that helps the human beings and helps the organization. I love it. And I love to categorize things myself, um, simplify uh, ideas like communities are created of people who want to help each other and know people who help each other. Uh, I tell people I have four platforms in person, which I think people forget about these days. I, I do use email. Uh, I use my phone for voice and text. Um, and then I also believe in media, uh, traditional and social, um, and having systems and strategies for each of theirs to work here and now to utilize technology as my servant in the context, but to do two things. And this is where I want to get to with your strategies, because you have, you know, 50 strategies uh, to help people. And I love pragmatic thinking. Um, with a, a spiritual inspiration behind it or technology behind it as a servant. Both to me are servants. But I think it's simple. I look at things of, okay, using the context of those four areas, how can I help people get more of what they like and take away more of what they don't like? And with your strategies, how can we identify better with all the noise, with the size, scope, and scale of the communities how can we identify better for the people most relevant to us within the workplace in context of your book, how we can provide more of what people like and identify what they don't like? Yeah, so I think there's there's a couple of pieces there. Number one, there's one strategy in the book that I, I believe in so much, I actually repeated it twice, which is just <laughs> doing less, right? If you can have that really crisp handful of things, to your point, that you are trying to accomplish with each community, that's what transforms the noise into the signal. And that's what makes you more thoughtful, more intentional in each communication. You're not trying to say 20 things, you're trying to say two things. And there's a really, there's a really strong power in that. And then the other piece is understanding, um, you know, there's some really interesting data that's in the book about how people's experiences just vary in the workplace. And it can be varying because of demographic group or your geography or the part of the organization you work in, right? There's many, many reasons why experiences vary. But once you understand that, and then to your point, you're really intentional about how you are connecting with people and understanding that not everybody's starting at the same starting point and that people have genuinely different concerns. And, and by the way, I love the fact that you called out the idea of social media 
as a conscious platform? Because I think a lot of times organizations are very unintentional about that, that you have, okay, we, you know, we got the company Twitter account. Great. And we got the company LinkedIn page, but there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in social media about your company that you don't explicitly control. I, I talk in the last chapter of the book about the trend of greater transparency in the workforce. So in the old days, let's say you have to lay somebody off and you know, you don't do such a hot job, right? You kind of like, you don't sound very empathic. You know, you manage that communication poorly. It, it stinks. It's not great. Today, if you do that, the whole way you talked through that communication could be all over social media in 10 minutes. And you really have to think differently and consciously about, again, what you are trying to do with all of those communities and manage all of your interactions differently to account for that more transparent world. And just to finish up, we got a couple of minutes, uh, this people-centered approach to decision-making. Uh, you know, We started off, and I like to finish there, with technology being a servant. Uh, and these platforms are servants, but we are the masters. You know, the, peop the people are important. And I believe in investment that are people-centered, business and family, everything for me is people-centered. And then I utilize technology to enhance the capabilities of human beings. Um, with this framework in mind, uh, what should we be doing to make sure we maintain, with all the distractions, a people-centered decision approach? Yeah, so, you know, it's a few simple things. It's, number one, thinking about people as people, even at work. Um, you know, as we work globally and we travel and all this, you know, things like sleep get meaningfully neglected. And they're they're really important. I mean, scientific data shows you come to work really tired. It's the same as coming to work drunk, right? You wouldn't <laughs> want your employees to do one. Don't let them do the other. So, you know, thinking about people as people with some of those basic biological needs and planning, you know, planning accordingly. Uh, you know, there's also a piece about sort of sustainability. And that's something really interesting that I think has emerged through the pandemic time and really relates closely to how we use technology is that, yes, conceptually, I can, you know, be on, you know, 20, 30 minute Zoom calls in a day. But neurological research shows my brain actually can't. My brain starts to function really differently in that completely, you know, no breaks day. So there's a piece about, you know, I think there are things you can do for a certain period of time, but you have to think about the sustainability and we're asking people to do them for really extended periods of time. And so resetting the frame in that way as well. That's beautiful. Everyone, it's a great realization. Check out Melissa Swift at me Swift on LinkedIn. Her book, Work Here Now, available everywhere. Check it out. It will change the way that we look at things. And you know, if we change the way that we look at things, the things we look at will change. Thank you for allowing us to be the masters and think like the masters, think like humans, and still yet utilize technology to build a powerhouse workplace. Melissa Swift, please also come back and join us. Thanks for everything on this uh, beautiful morning. Thank you. Take care. All right, everyone. That does it for over 23 years of our training here on the Office Hours edition of training uh, first time. We'll be on Twitter as well. Hopefully next week, Twitter Spaces. I was hoping we'd be there as well, but we're still doing Instagram, LinkedIn, all the variety of places that we are and aren't. Uh, remember, email me if you'd like the exercise or guide of 
the great realization or any of our guests information, email me David at dmelzer.com. Uh, Jake, go ahead. It's seven o'clock. Why don't you go ahead and close out the room? Everyone be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Go ahead, Jake, close out the room. Thank you, everyone. It's been a great training. We appreciate you. Uh, we'll see you soon. Email me, david at dmeltzer.com. Thank you.